Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. I'm Jeremy Pound, the magazine's deputy editor, and with me in the studio today are reviews editor Michael Beek and managing editor Rebecca Franks. Hello. Hello. Before we get started, do head out to buy your copy of the May issue now. Better still, if you fancy subscribing, we have a special discount for our podcast listeners. All of you can now get 30% off every six issues, which takes the cost to just £25.15. You can claim the offer by visiting buysubscriptions.com slash musicpodcast. We'll be taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of the magazine shortly. But before we do, let's find out what's been happening in the news recently in the world of classical music. Right, well, I'm going to start off this month's music news with a look at a new competition which has just been launched. And we're all used to um, conducting competitions. They've been around for donkey's years. But um, there's a particularly attractive one which has just arrived on the scene, and that's been launched by the Halle. Next year, in next February, the Halle is going to be launching its first ever conducting competition. The prize is rather special because as well as a £15,000 cash prize, you also get the position of assistant conductor to Mark Elder, the music director at the Halle, for at least two years. Now, in the past, Mark Elder has produced some fantastic assistant conductors, including Edward Gardner, who's gone, at, gone on to conduct The Last Night of the Proms, um, Ava Strazinska, who's particularly enjoying a particularly fine career at the moment, um, and his current assistant, Jonathan Hayward, is already doing great things across the music world. So I'd say quite a, quite a, a good prize there. It joins the ranks with other orchestras who have competitions for their assistant places, like the London Symphony Orchestra, which does the Donatella Flick conducting competition. And I guess that experience that you get from working closely with a really established conductor and a brilliant orchestra Mm -hmm. is sort of irreplaceable really definitely and isn't there a funny digital element to this competition there is yes it's quite quite exciting for the first time in as far as i'm aware in a conducting competition there's going to be tasks actually which involve some sort of virtual reality or something like that where you're actually going to be doing tasks where you have to react to instant situations so i don't know whether that's with the musicians present or actually with something you can see around you or hear around you which is produced digitally as you say and you have to react to various situations like that but we don't know exactly what it's going to be an overzealous sort of audience member coughing loudly or something or shouting what would you do but going just briefly going back to the prize um i interviewed mark elder about 10 years ago and we ta- talked quite a long time actually about the position of assistant conductor and he puts he puts a lot of emphasis on it it's very important to him as a role and i remember him at the time telling me that as well as the, con- the assistant having the chance to conduct the halle regularly um he at the time, he was saying that he let his current assistant then take over a repertoire which he was less familiar with himself. So actually specialise in particular parts of the repertoire and say, kind of take that away, learn it and rehearse the orchestra in that um, and make that your own special area. And that's a really good opportunity. So you're not just picking up kind of bits and pieces here and there. You're actually you're given a chance to develop your own specialities quite early. Yeah. Tantalising. Now, I guess the best thing next is to hear this magnificent beast, which whoever wins this competition will be having the chance to conduct for two years.
That was the Halle Orchestra, conducted by Mark Elder, and that was Debussy's La Cathédrale Anglouti, which many people will be familiar with from its piano original, but it was orchestrated there by Colin Matthews. Right, so what else have we got in the news? Rebecca, tell me. Well, this follows on quite neatly because competitions aren't the only way to become established as a conductor and the Royal Opera House in collaboration with the Royal Philharmonic Society and National Opera Studio have just announced that they are going to be having two new courses this year for female conductors. They did a pilot programme last year where they uh, did a a course free of charge for female conductors from all sorts of um, levels of experience to come and work with. It was Alice Farnham at that point, conductor. And they, from the the success of that, they've decided to do a ballet course this year and a week-long opera course for 12 women conductors and six observers. That one's going to be led by Jessica Cottis. So that's just another way, I guess, of, of... really offering support and mentorship and the ability to really work on your all your kind of technical skills and all the the everything you need really for the world of opera and now ballet as well um as i say for for women conductors so i think that's a really positive news story it's very nice at the moment to see a lot of the orchestras and um opera houses um, talking the t- sorry, walking the walk as well as talking the talk with this because they've been saying, oh, we must improve the situation for quite a while without actually doing an awful lot. But actually, there's real action points now happening, aren't there? Definitely, and I imagine this is the kind of situation as well where you can really. Um it shows the importance of role models and the importance of having um, a good network of people to support you. So, you know, when when things are changing and evolving, I think it's a very important thing of being able to make sure you have other people you can talk to about it. And yeah. And on the subject of conductors, I understand that you also saw uh, someone who's been doing it for a rather long time as well, just so that you can stay in the game for a long time. Yes, I recently had the real joy of hearing Bernard Heitink uh, conducting the London Symphony Orchestra for one of his 90th birthday concerts. So it just shows that, yes, you can have a very long career in this game. Although I do understand he's taking a sabbatical at the end of this season. Excellent. Very well earned. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect when he started, things like courses and competitions were probably didn't exist so good times all around I'd say. Michael what have you got for us? Uh, mine's a fun little news story this is uh, the fact that uh, Warner Music has become the first record label to sign an album deal with an algorithm so all the musicians and composers out of a job. Uh, no uh, this is uh, <laughs> no, it, it, this is uh, they basically teamed up with a, an app called Endel they basically create sort of um, ambient soothing uh, sort of music for certain moods and sort of times of the day and things and they've teamed up with Warner to actually publish a uh, uh, you know, it's a whole set of albums. They're going to release twenty albums, which is a lot. That's a lot. Isn't it is it? a lot, uh, yeah. and that's under the sort of the uh, the sort of the um, headlines of focus, uh, relax, on the go, and sleep. And the first five have already been released, and they are the sleep albums. And I made the mistake of listening to one at my desk slightly earlier <laughs> on and almost <laughs> fell asleep. So it's obviously working quite well. Um, it's a lot of sort of um, uh, white noise and sort of sort. Of rainfall and things like that, sort of things you'd expect. Um, but it's based on uh, Caucasian rhythms and pentatonic scale and what they call sound masking. And these are based on uh, phrases created by the composer and sound designer Dmitry uh, Evgrafov. So actually it's somebody who has created these little nodes and the algorithm is sort of piecing them together. Uh, my favourite thing about uh, some of these discs is the track titles, uh, one called Humble Crumbs, uh, slowly slumping, <laughs> milk soft, and mewing furs. Are the titles devised the by the algorithms? Oh, or... I wonder. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? <laughs> Lightly smoked as well. Oh, lovely. Oh, Are you sure about that one? <laughs> I, don't know. 
I just can't believe that anyone at BBC Music Magazine would ever fall asleep at their desk, <laughs> could you? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely not. But I'm sure we could think of uh, actual, you know, real music, as it were, to uh, help with those things like going to sleep and on the go and all those things. So. The Goldberg variations probably most famously. Absolutely. But I was going to say, it's quite a, probably quite a shrewd move in a way because I think there's a real emphasis on the moment about sleep in modern life and then perhaps we don't have enough sleep or the quality of our sleep is not good enough. And actually, I... Uh, use an app, an app that has sleep stories which has become a big thing where they have they've written specific stories to help you get to sleep read by people like Stephen Fry and Joanna Lumley um, and a whole host of names you wouldn't know as well yeah it's the sound of the voice which sound, is yeah. allowing you to sleep I just have a large whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, moving, we're going to stay in the news in the meantime, actually. A different type of news also covered in our our May issue is details of the BBC Music Magazine Awards 2019. Um, Before we talk about it, here is a glimpse of the winning disc. Right, that was our recording of the year, 2019, and I'm going to let Rebecca tell us what it was. Yes, so that was the presto from the Harpsichord Concerto in D minor by J.S. Bach, actually after another piece, an oboe concerto by Alessandro Marcello. And that was on the disc that has won our recording of the year, which is a disc, the title is actually Johann Sebastian Bach. The pianist is Vikingur Olafsson, an Icelandic pianist. This is his second album for Deutsche Grammophon, following a disc of Philip Glass uh, a year or two ago. And this was one of the CDs that in our jury meeting we had very little discussion about because we just all really loved and admired what he had done here. Uh, it then came through on the public vote um, in its in its category, the instrumental category. And finally, we, we then vote as a jury on the recording of the year. And that came out by far the, the top of, of the recordings. And it's just a really, it's a really beautiful, thoughtful album of Bach works and transcriptions, many of them which we didn't know. There's an organ sonata in E minor transcribed by August Stradal, um, things by Wilhelm Kempf from Busoni. And it works really well. If you if you love your Bach, I think you'll find some rarities on here. If you, if you don't know Bach, this is a great place to start. You can dip into it. You can listen to it in in one go. And it's just a really fantastic recording. And yeah, delighted that it that it's won. I should point out too that Vikingo Olafsson is an avid New- Newcastle United fan, and they last won something in I think it's about 1953. So he's he's done a lot better than them in the meantime. <laughs> um, so Michael, what else has won? Well, I will add that uh, Vikinger also won, won the instrumental award for that disc, so a double winner, which was great for him. Uh, a whole wonderful slew of, of award winners uh, on that evening, and uh, worth noting uh, Adam Fischer's recording of Mahler Symphony Number no. One uh, with the Dusseldorf Symphony Orchestra, which took home the orchestral award. So, congratulations to them. Also uh, to Paul McCreish and the Gabrielli Consort for their album of Rose Magnificat, which was released by Signum. Gorgeous album. And that was, in fact, his third BBC Music Magazine award win, which might be a record, do we think? Can I be? Yeah. Well done, Paul. And then uh, finally one to mention is uh, the uh, Newcomer Award, and that went to uh, Laura van der Heiden, the cellist, who was, of course, BBC Young Musician a few years back. We've also awarded, for the first time ever, the BBC Music Magazine Personality of the Year. 
Um, and this is for someone who we feel has been a huge impact on the classical music world, not just within the classical music world itself, but beyond, brought it to other people um, over the last last year and before. And in this instance, we're going to give it for the first time ever to Tasmin Little, the violinist. And the timing is rather neat, actually, because at the beginning of this year, she's announced that she is going to retire from the concert stage and the recording studio next year. She still has a couple of discs left to go and we don't know what they are yet, so we're looking forward to hearing those. But um, from a recording point of view, she has now recorded around 50 discs in total and her last three have been magnificent. It's um, Roxana Ponufnik's Four World Seasons with Vivaldi's Four Seasons, works by Brahms, and most recently one by Clara Schumann, Ethel Smythe and Amy Beach. So Played a bit of on, on a previous episode, actually. We did, we, great this. Um, and so we think this is a really apposite um, award to give Tasman. And she's been a real forward-looking performer over the last 30 years. She, she kind of dates her the top of her career to so 1990 when she first appeared at the BBC Proms and released her first disc. And I think the one thing which I really remember standing out is when she um, launched her The Naked Violin Project in 2008 where she made a recording specially for free download on the web. Now, at the time, that was fairly unheard of. That was kind of, although it was only 11 years ago. Yeah. It was really groundbreaking and it kind of set a bit of a trend and she's always been right at the forefront of, of initiatives like that. I should say you can read a, uh, an interview with her and all the other award winners as well in the May issue of the BBC Music magazine. So they're all talking about their, their wonderful recordings. Talking of which, let us move on to this month's magazine. This month's magazine. Before we move on to the magazine, don't forget our website too at classical-music.com where you can read all about the latest music happenings, read thousands of reviews and a good deal more. Plus we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and we have an iPad edition available on the App Store. Okay, well we're going to start off by looking and listening to our cover CD and I'm going to play a little bit of it now. That was Pergolese's Starbat Martyr, and it was performed by Amelia Jakes and Cassian Pitchler-Rocker, accompanied by the BBC Philharmonic. Now, if you know those two names, if you recognise them, that might be because you were listening to BBC Radio 2 Young Chorus of the Year last year, because those were the two winners. And we have recorded them in various works from across the centuries, actually. Pergolese is one of the older works there, but then there's also music by J.S. Bach, Britain, Bergen, Foray, Franck, etc., etc. It's a real showcase of these two wonderful voices. Also in the magazine, we have a little celebration of BBC Radio 2 Young Choruses of the Year itself, complete with an interview with Lawrence Kilsby, who won way back in 2009. So that's the cover CD. And inside, of course, we spend lots of time talking about other CDs, including our recording of the month, which Michael is now going to tell me all about. 
Indeed. So this month's recording of the month is a really enticing disc released uh, by Hyperion Records. It's uh, sonatas by Vienne and Frank, uh, performed by Alina Ibragimova and Cedric Tabergian. Um, but at the heart of the disc uh, is, is music by uh, Eugène Isai. And uh, he's very much at the heart of the disc because the sonatas by uh, Frank and Vienne were actually written for him. One of them as a wedding present, apparently. Um, it's it's a beautiful listen, and actually, the, one of the pieces I want to play isn't by any of those composers. It's actually by Lily Boulanger, uh, because this is sort of a, a excuse me an encore from the live versions of this program that they've performed, and they've added it to the disc. And uh, as Alina described to me in our interview for this piece, it's like a little dessert at the end of the album. That was Nocturne by Lily Boulanger, performed by uh, Alina Ibragimova and Cedric Tybergen. And what a lovely little French dessert that was. Isn't it? We're now going to head back to 1869, and Rebecca's going to tell us about another feature in our magazine, our May issue. Yes, so this is a feature that's been written by Brian Wise for the magazine about America's first transcontinental railroad, which 150 years ago, a golden spike was uh, pounded into the ground of the unfinished railroad track connecting the railway from coast to coast, from west to east in the uh, United States of America. And this had a huge impact on on people being able to travel, on the towns that were along the railroad, suddenly you have people coming in, you know, able to move around. So this this very colourful feature explores how these small towns saw a real proliferation of opera houses and performers coming through, how orchestras and opera houses, including New York's uh, Metropolitan Opera, headed off on tour, and then how the conductors and opera singers of the era as well also embraced this golden age of train travel, often very extravagantly with uh, huge entourages that they would travel with while everyone else was crammed up in <laughs> in one in one coach together um and yeah really just takes a really good look at that moment in history i love the stories um of, of one or two of the excesses enjoyed by leading divas of the day kind of enjoying <laughs> yeah. this enormous luxury and the the cost of these carriages was quite phenomenal i mean if you think musicians top musicians are kind of well paid and treated well today take a look at this it's quite extraordinary Yes, no, and Brian Wise has gone through and found some, yeah, some really fantastic stories from there. It's a really vivid picture that he paints, isn't it, as well? It's a great, great piece. What is a little bit sobering, a little bit sad, though, is that the the it was a fairly short-lived period, this glorious period mm. of musicians travelling by rail. And a lot of these opera houses, which were built in pretty small towns, we're talking 20,000 max, um, had a life of about 50, 60 years. Yeah. And then other means of transport took over um, and then... Opera got less popular as kind of films and things like that took over and so the cinema took over or people were staying at home for their entertainment. And so a lot of these lovely little opera houses in mm. small towns kind of disappeared and not all that many are left today. Mm. No, it's fascinating. Yeah, it does. He does take us quite neatly full circle and he talks about Philip Glass, actually, and a, a cross-country trip he'd taken on Amtrak and saying, you know, the country is still vast and beautiful. So I think even if the trains thing. aren't. Even if the trains aren't, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And on that note, let's move on to what we've been listening to recently. Fast 
Before we kick off with sharing our favourite new recordings, we'd like to tell you about how you can get involved in sharing your musical discoveries with us and fellow readers. Rebecca, can you tell us about The Listening Room? Yes, so this is a new venture that we've set up recently as BBC Music Magazine. You will need to have a Facebook account and head to Facebook. If you look on the BBC Music Magazine page, you'll see we've got this great group called The Listening Room, which we've got, I think, nearly one and a half thousand members now. And the idea is for this to be a space where you can share uh, all the recordings you've been listening to recently or the concerts you've been going to and really uh, find some like-minded people who love classical music as much as you and we do. Brilliant. And I'm now going to invite you to share your favourite. What is it? This month I've been really enjoying a solo harp disc, actually. So this is a French harpist. Uh, Her name is Anaïs Gaudemar. And I first came across her last year, actually. I went on a trip to Arles in France uh, with Harmonium, the Harmonium Mundi record label. And they had a showcase concert of their new artists, young artists. They have a scheme called Harmonia Nova where they do... uh, They have their artists who they do debut recordings for. They're often really fantastic young musicians and it sort of sets them on their professional career. And she played some wonderful harp music then as part of this concert. And lo and behold, about a month ago, this debut album popped up. It's got a whole variety. She really wants to show just what the solo harp can do. So it's got music by C.P.E. Bach, Hindemith, um, Scarlatti, and a new piece by uh, composer Philippe Ersson. And I have chosen a bit of foray for this podcast. It's the Impromptu Opus 68. So, Michael, what have you got for us? I've been listening to Roxana Panufnik's new disc on Signum Classics called Love Abide. And this is a, a really lovely project of hers, um, seeking to find uh, interfaith connectivity. So there's in, uh, sort of inspiration from all walks of life and different religions and, and, and things like that. Um, I've chosen a track called Zen Love Song, which is actually inspired by a Japanese lullaby. And it's performed by the Kolovochi singers and uh, Shakuhachi player Lolly Day. So that was Roxana Ponofnik's Zen Love Song, sung by the Colavoce singers. For my choice, I'm going to go for some early Copeland, which I had never heard before and I've absolutely fallen in love with. I mean, it's called Grogue and it's his one-act ballet and it's um, from uh, 1925. Now, it's inspired by Nosferatu and Grogue himself is a, is a sorcerer and he's described as having a hooked nose and piercing eyes and was apparently quite scary. Um, now, basically, it's it's thirty minute ballet, which kind of just explores kind of Grog's antics as he goes around the country. A lot of it reminds me an awful lot of um, Stravinsky. Um, Copeland was in Paris at the time when he um, when he composed this, and you can hear the Stravinsky influences coming through. But also, you can hear elements of Copeland himself, and there's also little bits of jazz here, there, and everywhere. It's wonderful, wonderful ballet, um, and it's performed by the Detroit Symphony Orchestra under Leonard Slatkin on the Naxos label. 
And the bit I'm going to play is called The Dance of the Adolescent. And no, that's not going, oh, whatevs. And it's not kind of slumping around. <laughs> it's actually, this is, I've never heard an adolescent move like this, but I want to see what you think when you hear, when I say about the Stravinsky element. <laughs> At the end of that movement, by the way, what was happening there was that um, the saucer had brought this adolescent back to life, and the adolescent was kind of prancing around. And apparently, at the end of the movement, you hear you hear the sorcerer um, bopping the adolescent over the head. So it has a sort of <laughs> I don't know quite what that's all about. What the message there? <laughs> but anyway, that brings our podcast to a rather nice rowdy end. Um, we'll be back again next month with a look at our June issue. In the meantime, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Michael, and it's goodbye from Rebecca. Goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> The BBC Music Magazine Podcast